Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right, another week, and we are in our final week of on-field action at the NovaCare Complex as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 60. And, of course, I'm referring to the final practices before training camp taking place this week in the form of a mandatory minicamp. It's just crazy to think that we're already to this point in the offseason. Training camp is just around the corner. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with our good friend, Greg Cosell. It's been a few weeks since we've caught up with Greg, and since he was here watching minicamp practice today, I thought it was the perfect opportunity to pick his brain about some of the issues surrounding this team at this stage of the offseason. And you know we're going to be talking a lot about the quarterback position. Next up, we've got two technique where I caught up with Eagles linebacker Najee Good to talk about stacking and shedding as a linebacker. So you'll get to hear what it's like for linebackers at the point of attack in that segment. Then we wrap it all up in Saturday scouting where we look back at rookie running back Byron Marshall's notes coming out of Oregon this past fall. I really like this kid's versatility, and between he and Wendell Smallwood, I think there are some interesting possibilities there in regards to their distribution and location in the formation. You'll understand why after we get through his notes. We've got a ton to get into. Let's not waste any time. I caught up with Greg Cosell after today's practice at the NovaCare Complex. Let's get things rolling with Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. All right, as promised, here with NFL Film Senior Producer Greg Cosell. Greg, it's been uh, a few weeks since we last saw each other. It was the uh, the weekend of the NFL draft, and uh, some 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 stuff has happened in the last few weeks. Obviously, it's t- not a ton of uh, riveting action. Obviously, it's the, <laughs> you have the OTAs, the mini camp this week, and you and I actually just got off the field watching the first mini camp practice for the Eagles uh, in this week, the final week of on field work before training camp starts. This is your second go around now, going to, visiting with teams. What what do you look to get when you're when you're going to these practices? Right. And everybody look, everybody's got a job to do. Uh, obviously, the the people that are covering the team, all the different media outlets, they have to cover every single aspect of the practice. And it's just interesting watching and and following along with. Oh, this guy looked great. This guy didn't. This guy looked really really sharp today. This guy really helped himself today. Obviously, there's a long way yeah. to go before we start to have those discussions. But when you're watching, what are you looking to glean from these practices you watch? Well, I, I probably enjoy most the seven on seven and the team. Because then often you get a sense of, of scheme on both sides of the ball. And I enjoy seeing, you know, particularly with the new coach. I, as you said, I, today was my day here with the Eagles. I happened to have been in Nashville to see the Titans a few weeks ago for some work with NFL Films. Um, and when you have a new coaching staff in particular, both those teams do, it, it, I always find it interesting to sort of try to pick up some scheme stuff, both sides of the ball. And I also like looking at the individual matchups on the perimeter because – I really like to see wide receivers run their routes against corners. I really like to see the tight ends work. And I really like to see young quarterbacks like a Marcus Mariota in Tennessee, a Carson Wentz here in Philadelphia. I really like to see how they throw the ball in the middle of the field because that's where the college game and the NFL game are so, so different. Uh, the the college game is very much played on the perimeter, and the NFL game is played much more in the middle of the field, and quarterbacks have to make those throws in the middle of the field. So I, I like to take a peek at that. Well, let me ask you this question. So you like to see the scheme, and you like to focus on the matchup. So you get to an 11-on-11 11 11 right. period. You get to a team period. 
how often do you try and spread out looking more big picture and trying to get the scope of the play and the concept as opposed to just focusing in on one player or yeah. one individual match? And, and that becomes a problem because, you know, sometimes I try to do too much right, and right. I realize after three plays, I didn't really see anything People on those last three know. plays. I'm just watching plays. Exactly <laughs> you know, right. so sometimes that happens yep. because you just sort of get caught up in watching the plays and you realize, oh, I didn't really see much in those plays that just went by. But, you know... I think initially I try to get a feel for the bigger picture because I just like to see, uh, and I'm a quarterback guy, as you know, so I, I always look to get a feel for the big picture of the routes and where the quarterback's going to throw the ball and if it's done in rhythm. Because ultimately, to be successful in this league, it has to be in structure and in rhythm. And I think that's what, my guess is that's what coaches want to see. They they want to see the practice, particularly 7-on-7 seven seven or Team 11-on-11, 11 11, have a have a Christmas to it where, you know, yes, the defense does its thing, but the offense can still at least execute within the structure and rhythm of the offense. It's interesting, and it's, I kind of gauge it too. You know, I'm out here every day for the OTAs and for mini camps, and then obviously once we get into later in the summer for training camp, I approach those similarly but in different ways as to when I go down to the Shrine game and to the senior right. role because there, it really, the way I almost approach those now, I want to come away from every single play in a team period at least gleaming one thing. Sure. From one play, if, I, if I'm focusing on, if there's 22 guys in the field, if I can glean one thing from one player, I'll take that as, as a win because you know, it's tough to, to watch the whole thing and come away saying, man, those three guys really stood out on that play. It's and, impossible and, to do. And I think, and you know this, I think you have to be careful, not you personally, but just people in general, right. about using one isolated play as an example of, oh, well, he's had a good day or that, right. well, he's a really yeah. good player. I think you have to be careful about that. There's an awful lot of plays. There's an awful lot of plays yet to come through training camp, preseason. So I think, you know, people always ask me when they know I'm going to OTA, say, well, you know, how'd they look? What'd you see? And I, I never feel like I have a great answer to that, right. particularly if I'm only here one day. You know, if I'm here five, six, seven days and you're and I get a feel for watching a particular player or if I see certain schemes over and over, then I feel like maybe I have an intelligent answer. But to say what you see today is if I'm saying something profound, I'm really not. So what, who did you see? What, what, what did you see that you liked today? I, I joked, obviously, right. on the sideline with Greg multiple times watching the practice today. Oh, well, that, this guy's just had a great day after one you know, big-time throw or a big-time catch. Uh, it's, and you know how it works. You see everybody tweet after a great play. Everybody's tweeting. You look after down a the bad sideline, play, yeah. everybody's tweeting. Exactly you know, right. As if that's the defining play of that player's career. We, we live very much in the moment Correct. for uh, this part of the offseason. All right, well, let, let's move on from that. One of the things I want to talk to you, you and I did this last training camp, and we'll do, we'll do it again this summer, is talk about some big picture things when it comes to the game. And one of the things that I think is really interesting, especially in Philadelphia right now, because you, you look at the Eagles and obviously all the stuff with the quarterbacks, whether it's Sam Bradford or Carson Wentz, and it's actually it's a, it's a conversation and a theme that, kind of bleeds over to the Sixers and where they're at right now with the number one pick. And, sure. You know, is it going to be Simmons? Is it going to be Ingram? What do they do with some of the rest of the players in the roster? And the, the one question that comes up and the one theme that has come up in both for both franchises is which player is going to make the rest of the players oh. around him better? So I, I, right, so I, right. I wanted to start well, talking about Basketball is a little different sport. Of course, because you're yeah. dealing with one, yeah. five people yeah. as opposed to 11. But what, what does it mean when you say this player makes the players around him better? Well, if you're talking about a quarterback, which it's often said about, as right. you know, it's it's a it's a stereotypical, cliched phrase. But to me, if your quarterback 
is executing properly, which means, for the sake of our discussion, that he drops back, he throws the ball at the right time to the right receiver with precise ball location, he's going to make the offense better, and he's going to make receivers better. So ultimately, that's, to me, what it means. Now, I think people, when when a guy's a great player and it has reached that point, they kind of look at the access to the results and then say, oh, he makes everybody better. But you have to look at the traits and attributes that allow a quarterback to make other people better. And that's ultimately what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's also interesting, too, because you could say the same thing about good coaching. Good coaching makes players, you know, quote-unquote, makes players better. Right. Because if if a coach uses a player, deploys a player's traits and attributes properly, uh, differently from another coach who maybe doesn't, then the play, the coach who does that right is going to make that particular player a better player. It's it's one of the reasons why a coach like Bill Belichick, and he's not the only one, but he comes to mind, always talks about, tell me what the player does well, and we'll put him in a position to do what he does well. We won't ask him to do what he doesn't do well, and that's why some players with Bill Belichick might play 40 snaps one week and six snaps the next week because the game is different. So uh, you're right. Coaching is a big factor in that. It's it's just funny because I feel like a lot of the conversation, again, whether it's been with the Eagles or right. with the Sixers, has been uh, it's almost as if I think of it like a Madden rating. Like, oh, you, you add this player to your roster, all of a sudden everybody else in the offense, they get five points added to their rating. It's just funny how people think I mean, uh, that that's know, what takes why place. Why does Tom Brady make people better, right. if you want to use that phrase? Because you know what? He's really good from a an attribute and and skill set perspective at the quarterback position. So he's able to execute at a really high level and do the right things all the time. Are there any of these other phrases that come to mind uh, this time of year that really just kind of make you like scratch your head and and think this is kind of a crazy business that we're in? Got to step up. <laughs> you got to step up, friend. Well, well, you know he's well, going to have to step up well, this year. LeBron James. Yeah, he's got to step. He's up. going to have to step up. Yep. Uh, yeah. One of your other favorites that I know that <laughs> comes up every single year, and it's always it's a different player each year. Uh, but he's got the it factor. Uh, correct. He's got the it he's factor. He's got the it factor, and that I think goes along with the the idea of making others better. Is that right. he he's got that that special it factor? Johnny Manziel comes to mind uh, all the time. Is that he's got that? He's just got it. I don't know what it is, what it is, but he's no got. No one it. knows what it is. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So, uh, getting into the, to how this impacts the Eagles, it's right. interesting because you talked about from the coaching aspect, and you look at Jim Schwartz and how he yeah. is, uh, what he has done so far with his defense, and we're going to see it on the field this summer, and then also leading into the fall. Talked about a couple players today when we were watching practice, and one of those players was Marcus Smith. Yeah. And uh, when you take a guy like Marcus Smith, and he's going to be playing a different position and a different role, playing it now as a defensive end, and then in Jim Schwartz's attack defensive front. What are you expecting out of Marcus Smith? Or what would be uh, a step in the right direction for you where you would feel satisfied? Well, I think what they're going to ask Marcus Smith to do is essentially one thing. If he gets through these final mandatory OTAs and training camp and, and continues to, to look pretty good, he's going to be asked to rush the quarterback as a sub-package D-end. He's going to ask to be, do one thing, which means he might play 18 snaps a game. And I think that... To me, when he came out of Louisville, and I know it's easy based on what he's done up to this point to say, oh, he's a bust, I I, I usually don't fall into that category. I don't discuss players that way normally. Uh, But I think, to me, he showed 
that he has a pass rush skill set when he came out of Louisville. Now, everybody needs work when they get to the NFL. It's a different game. Of course. But I think he has the ability to potentially become a quality rusher. Now, I'm not going to get into numbers. That may mean six sacks. It may mean 12. Who sure. knows? But I think that they're going to ask him to do one thing, and that's probably what he's best suited to do in this particular 4-3 defense. Yeah, and I think that's what's always interesting. And the, and the the comparison that's been brought up a number of different times because he played for Jim Schwartz and had such a big year in 2014 was Jerry Hughes, who was a former first-round pick with the Indianapolis Colts. Who would have been viewed as a bust. Was viewed as right, a bust. Early right. in his career, he, it, was a, it was an awful pick by Bill Polian and was one of the reasons why he was fired and this, that, and the other. He goes to Buffalo on a, on a rescue contract, and he ends up having a huge year with Jim Schwartz as the defense coordinator in that attacking front. And it's interesting, the, the parallels between a Marcus Smith and a Jerry Hughes with that explosive ability off the corner. That's a great comparison. I mean, you know, I think there are a little different types of players. Yes, absolutely. But, but it's a great comparison because Hughes was a first-round pick. I remember watching him in college, as I'm sure you do. And uh, he did not do well in Indianapolis at all. And, and he had a pretty good or, shall we say, bad track record in Indianapolis. Went to Buffalo as kind of an afterthought. And then you're right, under Jim Schwartz, had a very good year. Uh, and, and I think Marcus Smith is going to be asked to do essentially what Jerry Hughes was asked to do by Jim Schwartz, which is rush the quarterback. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's always very interesting to see how a person, this gets back to one of the things that we talked about a few weeks ago, was the uh, the adaptation to scheme and trying yeah. to trying to fit players into a scheme, ask them, you know, figure out what role you need them to play, and then put them in that position. It was an a, a old Andy Reid axiom in all of his press conferences was put them in best position to succeed. Right, and it becomes a cliche, but it's ultimately true. And, you know, obviously there's been some changes with defensive personnel. We saw Connor Barwin now playing defensive end. And, uh, you know, again, whether he can do that and be effective, I guess we'll find out. But, he, you know, he certainly – in Jim Schwartz's defense, ultimately you really want your defensive ends to be pass rushers. Now, yes, do they have to play the run? Of course. But I think – in that scheme, you're looking for your stacked backers to be a major factor in the run. I think you're looking for your strong safety, Malcolm Jenkins, to be a major factor in the run. And I think that's one reason they signed Rodney McLeod, because even though he's a free safety, he's very, very good playing downhill, playing, as we say, the alley in the run game. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing we talked about after his signing when you switch to a one-gap front, now you're, you want a little bit more impact up front from those safeties to come down Correct. hill and play against the run. When you talk about the secondary, and this is an interesting, we talked about this a little bit on day three of the draft, uh, not necessarily for the podcast that we did on the day three, but when we talked about uh, some of the videos that we did talking about Blake Countess and Jalen Mills, and you talk about sure. so many players in this Eagles secondary have position versatility where you know, maybe not in the structure of one game, but as we're preparing for the 2016 season, players that can play safety or nickel, nickel or outside, outside or at safety, and they're not going to do that all in the structure of one game, but obviously special teams will be a big factor. When you have players that have that kind of movement, what what kind of value does well, that bring to a defensive coordinator? I think for Jim Schwartz, it, it it's more of a depth issue in, in case there's injury, because I don't, I think if all goes well, Obviously, McLeod and Jenkins are the safeties. They're going to play every yes. snap. They're going to play every snap. I mean, in an ideal world, your two outside corners, I think, are going to be your outside corners. I mean, whether, you know, we don't know what Nolan Carroll's status is at this point due to injury. Um, but whether it's, you know, I think they would like Eric Rowe 
and perhaps Leotis McKelvin to be the outside corners. Now, I think that they would like them to stay outside, even in the sub package, and then there'd be a a slot corner. Yep. So I, I don't think that in Jim Schwartz's system, you're going to see, you know, let's say Jalen Mills, the rookie, really becomes a guy. I don't think you're going to see Jalen Mills play outside corner on one play, slot corner on the next play, safety on the next play. That's not going to happen within the context of this defense, of Jim Schwartz's defense. It, it's nice that someone could do that if by chance someone gets hurt, but I don't think Jim Schwartz's defense is built to have guys jump around like that. Very All right, so last question for you. Flipping sides of the ball. You and I spoke about a number of different players during practice on the, on the offensive side, focusing a little bit on the middle of the field. You talked about how important the middle of the field yeah. is in the NFL. And you look at players like Zach Ertz, Trey Burton, Brent Selleck. You talk about a guy like Jordan Matthews, uh, Wendell Smallwood from the running back spot, Kenyon Barner, uh, Byron Marshall. Out of those players, who excites you most going into the preseason and then into the season? In this, in the, I should right. say, in the structure of this Eagles offense right. and what Doug well, Peterson's done in the I'll past. I'll answer that in two ways. I'll okay. start by the general nature of the offense. Keep in mind that in Kansas City, Doug Peterson was part of an offense in which Jamal Charles had been hurt a couple of times, and they were still able to run efficient, effective offense without what you'd call a big-time back. So I think the scheme that, that Doug Peterson will run, which I'm sure will have many similarities to Andy Reid, I think that scheme, in, in his mind, does not require that you have a back, one back who every week carries the ball 22 times. And I think that's why they drafted Smallwood, because Smallwood is not Jamal Charles in terms of his overall skill set, but in terms of the way he could be deployed, it's similar. I mean, Smallwood is a guy, obviously he's a back. Right. He carried over 200 times for West Virginia. But he can also line up, detach from the formation as a receiver, and be effective like a Jamal Charles. So, again, so much gets to the mental with rookies, because... He's coming from the air raid offense at West Virginia, which is exceedingly simple, to an NFL offense now where he has a ton to learn, and I can't speak to his learning capabilities. But if he can pick things up, to me, a guy like Smallwood becomes a real interesting player for what the Eagles want to do on offense, which is exactly why they drafted him when they did. Yeah, and look, I don't want to make any oversweeping judgments. He did make some nice plays in pass protection today that I did notice in some of the 11-on-11 11 Well, he's obviously going to start week one and play 60 snaps a game. <laughs> I mean, he's going to be a pro bowler. <laughs> exactly. one, right? uh, Greg Costell, appreciate the time here. Obviously, it's a, uh, not as busy, not as a pressure-filled no. as, as normal, but still a busy time of year. Appreciate the time here, as always, on the Eagle and the Sky podcast. Thanks, Fran. Appreciate it. Great stuff from Greg. And again, you can follow him on Twitter just like I do, at Greg Cosell. And while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. That's where I post all of the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce here at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And you know I really appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on social media. That's one way to support the show. But the other is to go into iTunes or Stitcher, give us a rating, and even leave us a comment. I want to give a shout-out to Momo332, who rated the show recently and left a comment saying how much he enjoyed the podcast. So thanks so much to Mo and everybody out there for your continued support of this show and all of the rest of our podcast offerings at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. All right, let's keep this show going. I told you earlier we'd get to jump into the locker room and talk with Najee Good about how to properly shed blocks as a linebacker. Let's get to that conversation right now in Two Technique. Time to get inside the mind of a player. It's time for Two Technique. 
Here now with Eagles linebacker Najee Good. And Najee, I wanted to talk to you today about stacking and shedding as a linebacker and, and what it's like coming downhill and taking on a block head-on. What are some of the basics that fans should know? The key thing, like you said, is attack. When you're coming downhill, you got to attack and keep your eyes under the guy's eyes that you're hitting. And now once you get to him, you got to make sure you get your hands out in front and make sure you're hitting him up underneath his chin and getting separation from him and going where the ball goes. Obviously, the mindset changes when it's a 320-pound guard as opposed to a 245-pound fullback. But from a technique standpoint, what changes in the two different situations? Uh, really, the same thing goes for as far as how you want to attack them. You want to be, you know, the first aggressor. Um, offensive lineman, you know, those guys, like you said, it changes a little bit because of uh, the leverage that might have on you. But uh, you still want to take the same approach and. Nine times out of ten, if you're getting up underneath the fullback or, or you know, a tight end, you got a little bit more leverage. So when you go attack those guys, you, um, you're thinking of, you know, getting rid of them quicker because they are, you know, usually right in front of the running back or usually forcing the ball a certain way. So you're either going to hit them on the inside pad or outside pad, but you want to do the same thing. All right, last question for you. How does the mindset change when it's a blitz and you're coming down the A gap or coming down the B gap, or if you're just fitting the run inside, it does it change a little bit from those two different situations? Yeah, when you blitz, it's usually uh, you got one assignment. You can just go. You can, you, know, you can peel off the bumpers and just go ahead and go. And whoever you get to first, whether it's the quarterback, you want the quarterback, or it's the ball, you know, you get to take a shot and, and blow it all up. That was some outstanding stuff there from Naj, and he did a great job breaking down how to shed blocks as a linebacker, so I'm going to quickly break down how to subscribe to a podcast, and if you are listening to this on the Eagles app or on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and you like what you hear, it's really easy. All you have to do is just go on your mobile device, whether it's your smartphone or your tablet, find your local podcast app, and just search Eagle Eye in the Sky. You hit subscribe, and now the show downloads automatically to your phone every week and you can listen whenever you want you can listen when you're at the gym you can listen when you're walking your dog when you're driving down the shore because that's the best part you can listen whenever and wherever you want and while you're at it go and subscribe to the eagles insider podcast the journey to the draft podcast the eagles live podcast with dave spadaro and of course the college draft podcast with myself and ross tucker there's a ton of great podcasts out there so you just have to know where to look enough about everything all the podcast stuff though let's wrap this show up in saturday scouting it's time for Saturday Scouting. All right, so this week in Saturday Scouting, I thought it would be a really good time to visit Byron Marshall, the running back out of Oregon. The Eagles signed him after the draft as an undrafted free agent. I was really excited about this signing because he can play a number of different roles. And let, let's just get into the notes, what I saw from him during his time at Oregon. He's listed 5'9", 201 pounds. He lined up everywhere in Oregon's offense, including running back, outside as the Z receiver, and also in the slot throughout his career. Played some special teams as well, so really brings a lot of versatility to the table. As far as the positives, he displayed good speed for the position. He can get to the perimeter and outrun defenders in the open field. He's got the burst to accelerate to top speed quickly. Honestly, I like the short area burst more than that top end speed. So it was good to see both, but I prefer the top, the, the burst in a short area, and he's got that. Athletically, I thought he has everything you want for the position. He's got a second gear, and he can change direction very well. He's got the wiggle to make people miss, and he has the jump cut ability to create room for himself as a runner. He did not fumble in any of the games that I studied, and they tried to create ways to get him the football, whether it was on bubble screens or jet sweeps and gadget plays. He lined up all over the formation as a receiver, and he ran a very diverse route tree, especially coming out of that Oregon offense. I was very surprised to see him run the amount of routes 
routes that he did, and then also being able to line up in the backfield and run inside zone, run outside zone, run some power, run some counter, and be used in all the different ways that he was used. That's really where his value comes. Now, some negatives. Obviously, look, the kid's undrafted. There are some negatives to his game. I thought as a runner, he left some meat on the bone a little bit, missed some of the creases in the zone run game, never came off to me as a feature back during his time with the Ducks. He also had a good amount of drops both downfield and within five yards of the line of scrimmage. I didn't think he had the hands to consistently be uh, an effective wide receiver full-time at the next level. If he does stay at receiver, I wrote that he will need to improve at the catch point as well overall as a route runner, and I didn't think that he had the vision of a feature back. So, all right, if he's not a feature back, and if he's not a full-time receiver, what is he? Well, what I really think is that this kid is a Swiss Army knife. He can play a number of different roles. I just didn't see him as a full-time receiver or as a full-time back. Thankfully, the Eagles the coaching staff has shown the ability to leverage the most out of players like that. And you can look at players like a Danny Woodhead, players like a DeAnthony Thomas in Kansas City. Our, the coaching staff here in Philadelphia has done a really good job playing with some of those offensive weapon-type players. And I think that Marshall can be one of those satellite players, even though he's got, you know, some, he had some drop issues in the past, even though he wasn't the most naturally instinctive runner as a full-time tailback. I think he's got a lot of potential in this offense if he can make the team. And look, it's going to be a really, really interesting competition. He's got some challenges there. And Wendell Smallwood, a fellow rookie, Kenyon Barner, I think it's going to come on strong. You've got Ryan Matthews, you've got Darren Sproles. So it'll be a really interesting competition that running back. But Marshall is a name to keep an eye on as we get into the later summer months in training camp and then also in the preseason. But I think that'll do it. Another show here in the books for the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Thanks again to Greg Cosell, to Najee Good, and everybody out there listening, whether it's on iTunes, on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, wherever you listen, especially on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app. Thank you. And again, go on, rate the show, leave us a comment, and we can keep making this show better each and every week. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here from my producer, BT. I'm Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.